ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Confirmation of a new record crowd in the history of women's football in Australia. 50,629 the official attendance. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is The Conversation. Still some defending to be done by the Matildas and they've done it. So over the past five years, the Matildas have become one of the most popular sports teams in the country. But the Matildas are still calling for support to be treated equal. And the Matildas want a spotlight thrown onto the future of women's sport to make sure that any young woman can become the next Matilda. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, joining you from ABC Shepparton, as always, Nick Healy. Nick, do you reckon clubs around Victoria are prepared for their phones to ring off the hook with young women and girls who are going to want to play soccer? Because we know that facilities, that people to help out, they are few and far between. I don't think they're prepared at all, sadly, Rochelle. I, I think we all want it. I mean, it should be exciting. There should be just uh, young women, young girls, like, just glued to TV, watching this, just so excited, going to the games they can go to. But I can tell you, uh, for a lot of chats I've had regionally, the facilities are barely there for men's games, um, uh, which have always been sort of the focus for traditionally for so many decades. It's very, very hard for those women's teams, no matter what the sport, to get those change rooms, mm. to get those facilities to still, in, in this very day and age, not find themselves bumped or an afterthought to the men's games. It, it's, 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 yeah, we're not there yet. This is what the Matildas had to say about oh, some of the changes, I guess, that they've slowly seen, what they've fought for and what their concerns are, not just for themselves, but for the next generation of potential Matildas. 2007 was the first World Cup I played in and it was the first time FIFA awarded prize money to women, 25 years after the men. In 2010, we fought for our first CBA with basic pay. We won the Asian Cup and went back to our part-time jobs. In 2013, we signed a new deal to make sure we got our laundry done for us. In 2015, FIFA made us play the World Cup on artificial pitches. The grass was fake and the disrespect was real. FIFA will still only offer women one quarter as much prize money as men for the same achievement. And our sisters in the A-League women's are still pushing for football to be a full-time career so that they don't have to work part-time jobs like we had to. So we call on our fans to go all in at the tournament and continue that support by getting out to an A-League women's game to lift up the next generation of Matildas. The next generation of Matildas on the eve of the <laughs> World Cup. Nick, did any of that shock you? Yeah, look, sadly, none of it shocked me. Maybe the laundry, I just, that really surprised me. But even now, you know, there's been a real big push to improve the prize pool for the Women's FIFA World Cup this year. Uh, it is, I believe, at the whole prize pool. But that is exactly a quarter of what the men played for recently. It is still at a quarter, and it is the most that's ever been paid to women's soccer players. So, yeah, not shocked maybe a little disappointed. So as we kick off the World Cup, as the Matilda effect 
comes in thick and strong. How prepared are we in the suburbs and in the regions to be able to support young women to play sport? Because the thing is, we want young women to play sport. We know that the fees are too high for a lot of people. We know that mm. there aren't enough clubs, there aren't enough volunteers, there aren't enough coaches. So how strong can this Matilda effect be? What do we need to make sure that if a young woman wants to play soccer in your community, they can? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt here with you and Melbourne Nick Healy joining you from ABC Shepparton. How do we ensure that anyone, any young woman or older woman that wants to play soccer can? What support do we need? Susan Watts is the General Manager at Football Federation in Sunraysia. Susan, we know the Matilda effect is real. Is it going to help you in any way? Um, good morning. Um, I hope I hope that it does. Um, and you know, one of the things that we hope that will happen is so um, in regional areas, uh, there's not very many female coaches. Um, and one of the issues um, across the board in regional areas is coaches, good quality coaches. Um, and so, if you have good quality coaches, um, then you you those, those coaches can connect with players and in particular female players. So for female players, it's, it's probably uh, a big thing for them to have a female coach that they can connect with um, and who can help them to move through the player pathway. So, you know, from our perspective, what we would like to see is um, uh, a, a bit more of a push for uh, much better coach development in the region. Um, and in particular, coach development for uh, female players. Because, Susan, we see that, obviously, in the men's sport. You know, the the boys play, they get good, they come up, they coach, they become mentors. Um, you know, without that support, as you say, there's no pathway, there's no development. You can have a, a bunch of, of younger female community members who are really keen to play sport, but if there's no way for them to be able to stick around, to be able to help with that next generation, um, it's just not going to happen. You end up with a, a kind of one-and-done almost. Yes, so um, so in in Sunraysia we we have uh, a, a, a program where we develop our representative squad players, um, and uh, you know we've we're, we've got improving numbers in the girls. But so one of the things that would also help that is if we had um, available facilities with mm. lighting um, and things like that, so that we could start start the girls off with some uh, social competition. Um, and things like that, and also to if they have female coaches to help them get involved with that social competition, then those uh, female coaches could help them to move through the player pathway and to develop their skills. Um, and, you know, I think that, um, you know, perhaps coaching girls is a little bit different to coaching boys. There's different needs, but, um, you know, you can't see what... You can't be what you can't see, and if they don't see female coaches... Uh, they won't aspire to be a female coach and therefore not um, then have more female coaches to to coach our girls. It's so interesting that you use that term. In just a moment, we're going to learn about some research that's being done and being commissioned into making sure that people can see and be, you know, what they can't or can see. Susan, just finally, 
when we talk about participation of sport, in particular for women and young women in regional Victoria, if they can't get it, if they can't be a part of it, they leave, don't they? Or they just don't participate at all and neither is what you want. How important is it to have that support network there, to have that infrastructure there so that it keeps young women and generations of young women in the regions? Um, well, and that's that's one of the big issues that, that we particularly have because we do have um, a lot of uh, kids get to a certain age then go off to uni. Um, but hopefully if we can get them to come back to the regions um, and then use the skills that they've learnt, um, you know, to promote sport, then um, that will encourage, uh, you know, the people to... or the, the players to want to stay here. And, and I think that, um, you know... If, if they can't get what they want in the regions, then they feel that they have to move to the cities to get what they want. So if they if they haven't got a level of competition in the regions, they'll move to the cities. Um, and if they haven't got a level of coaching, they'll move to the cities and the same with the facilities. So, um, you know, for us to keep our kids here, we need to have uh, uh, quite a few sort of contributing factors. And I think coaching, you can't be a good player if you don't have a good coach. No, you can't. Susan Watts, thanks so much for that. Susan's the General Manager at Football Federation Sunraysia. On the line, we've got Heidi in Geelong. Heidi, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. What did you want to talk about this morning? Um, I just think that the um, men that get something like three or four times the amount as the women um, should actually show support and pass on uh, that equal amount so that they sit uh, a similar pay um, because them keeping the money shows that they don't actually support equal pay. Um, yeah. and a lot of the sponsorship money comes from um, um, you know companies where the men run the, um, the decision on the sponsorship. Um, you know, just on a micro level, I know people where uh, kids get, like a daughter would get $10 for, them for her birthday and the boys would get $20 for the birthday from the grandparents. So it, it's just complex, like both micro and macro level. Of changing that. Heidi, you've touched on two things that I know our next guest in just a moment is going to want to talk about, and that is the men becoming allies and ensuring that, you know, that that is something that they can do, and also sponsorship and the role of sponsorship. But if the Matildas are calling for more support, what sort of support is needed at your local club, at a semi-professional and at a grassroots level? When every young woman and girl is going to want to play soccer, what does your community need to be able to say yes? This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. My name's Rochelle Hunt. I'm in Melbourne. Nick Healy is your co-host this morning, joining you from ABC Shepparton. And joining you from our Warrnambool studios, Sarah Lowe, who was previously the CEO of the South Metro Junior Football League and also was the Executive Manager of the Future Healthy Group at Vic Health. We've got pretty much every part of the state <laughs> covered here this morning. Sarah, we just heard from Heidi, our caller before, talking about the men need to be allies. We've also had, you know, um, s- someone call out and say that we need to ensure that we have coaches, that you can't be what you can't see, and that we also need sponsorship. And these are pretty much the three things that you wanted to focus on today. Yes, good morning, Rochelle and Nick. And 
yeah, great um, phone call before touching on those uh, key areas. And, yeah, two bits of research that have recently come out, the Office for Women in Sport and Recreation. I mean, could it be a, a better title for a, an organisation there? Uh, looked at... Um, uh, just the investment that's required into female sport to to get the visibility out there to continue to support uh, participation, and I'm just loving just seeing some of the the sponsors that were actually at the uh, at the World Cup for the Aussies the other day, and you know big names obviously Comback is is the Comback Matildas and they're supporting Qantas, Nike, Rebel, Priceline, Capra, Lego. You know th- these are some magnificent names and we need that and looking at those salaries you know 40 to 83,000 there's no way that our girls can can actually support themselves without having a second job or or trying to study so there's we really do need this three-pronged approach in my opinion we need the media obviously this uh the media rights and watching the exposure the sponsorship coming from uh, these corporate companies uh, and then the sport itself to make sure that it continues to advertise and put females um, at the front of this World Cup. Uh, and then, sorry, just to keep going, of <laughs> course, we, we we do need those, um, those volunteers because when I was at the Football League in 2016, um, the CEO of AFL made the announcement of the AFLW competition in 2017. My goodness, were we? did we have to be ready? We went from 7,500 players to 11,000. Wow. And they were all made up of girls, all from the AFLW announcement. So, you know, the, the sport's going to get ready and, you know, the second bit of research, this Men as Allies by La Trobe University uh, and Gibbs Sport and, again, the Office of Women in Sport, uh, you know, we, we need to be able to make sure that we're challenging those stereotypes and biases, having positive role models and helping lead this change. Um, that's what that Men as Allies research was talking about. Terry, you, you said before that so it needs recognition in the media, it needs support on that sporting body level, it needs that you know funding coming in or at least that sponsorship coming in on corporate side. Is it does it need all three? Like, can one of those be a little bit behind? Does it all collapse if they're not coming through together? I think it's that's why I call it the three pronged approach. I, I re, they need to come together because it's you know what, what do we got? We got sixty four matches in thirty two days. I think everyone <laughs> needs to be ready, you know, across you know our, our lovely family over in New Zealand, you know, Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne. I mean, we need to be ready, and it's an exciting time. And I'd hate to see um, you know so much excitement and and then people aren't ready for it at grassroots level and that's what it needs and for so long at that grassroots level there has been too many factors that i guess put up uh closed doors so that young women can't play this sport whether it be the cost whether it be the facilities if you're a part of a a local soccer or local football club are you ready do you need more support sarah lowe is with you joining you from our warnable studio does it feel a little bit like Groundhog Day in that we're saying, okay, we need change rooms and we need more support and we need more funding? I mean, will the Matilda effect make any change, do you think? I think it's already uh, happening, Rochelle. And, and I, again, I, I do love this uh, policy roadshow. It's called the Fair Access Policy. And again, Office of Women in Sport, uh, my wonderful friends at Vic Health uh, and the Sport Recreation Victoria have come up with this policy. And it's um, any uh, community owned facility, which is at all councils, need to sign on by 1 July uh, of, uh, of 20, I, th- I think it's next year or 2024. Mm. And so if they're 
they're not signing on board, they're not going to get any um, potential infrastructure funding. So, you know, it's a great step to be able to get this fair access for girls to, to have equal usage of the ground because they're, they're not getting, they're not having lights like we heard the other callers say before or they're getting, you know, the dodgiest time frames to play. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've been there. I've been there running the footy league. I've been there as a, you know, a Masters player myself and um, it, it's just not good enough. So I'm really glad that there's that these things that are, are, are on the move, but we do need those female-friendly facilities and as wonderful as it is to see more soccer facilities getting built, you know, we've got to get rid of all those old urinal and you know yeah. single showers you know without cubicles it's not safe or inclusive um, for young girls let alone any any female or, or any male and i know sir that's going to come up a lot throughout this morning's discussion like it is such a big issue it's such a big issue where i am uh, just duck back to what men in sport can do here i mean uh, heidi in geelong on the phone earlier suggesting they should actually go as far as actually giving up some of their pay making that equal certainly i think they should be agitating for equal pay right across the board and it's always a bit disappointing that there's not as much of that happening but where else can men come in as those allies and and not just be tokenistic about it yeah, and, and again, the, the research of those men as allies actually brings out is that, you know, just helping advocate for this gender equality, it, it is going to be as simple as that. You know, men are generally in power in sport and, and whether that's at the elite level or community level, we know that men have, have dominated for a really long time and, you know, they need to start speaking up and giving those equal rights of usage of grounds, uh, of change rooms, uh, of, of just basic things. Imagine not having sports lighting. I mean, community mm. sport gets played in the evening. That's when they train. And especially now in winter, it's dark at five. I don't know what it's like in Shep, but <laughs> it's Very dark. Much so. don't, don't worry about that, yeah. <laughs> you know, to hear before to say, oh, look, we're kind of, we're asking for lights. I mean, these are not fancy things. You know, these are the, these are the basics. We're talking about toilets and lighting. It's, it's not anything that seems to be over the top. I just find that incredible. Ingrid Perez is with you as well. She's the committee member of the Hamilton Soccer Club. She's a local referee in the Southwest Victorian League and we need refs and we need people to be a part of this. How healthy is women's soccer or women's football in Hamilton, Ingrid? Well, I would say it's almost non-existent um, given the lack of facilities um, and given the lack of support from our council um, and the community generally, it's, which is so unfortunate. Um, Ingrid, talk to me about the council. Where's that support not coming from? Are we talking about them actually building those facilities or is it a, a little deeper than that? Um, yes, absolutely. I think it it starts with um, the it starts with the building of the facilities. So basic things like club rooms, which we don't have, mm. um, and maintenance of the pitch. Um, it, there are so there are so many issues. I think the first issue is maintenance of our pitch. Um, sports are obviously widely played in the regions. However, unfortunately. Football is put down the bottom of the list, certainly in our area, um, and the the council seems to support other sports above our sport, uh, and we often have to cancel our games given the state of our pitch, which, huh. because it's so muddy and because it's 
it's it's not a nice place to play during the middle of winter. It's 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 awful, actually. No, it'd be unpleasant. It'd even be a little bit dangerous. I mean, Ingrid, I know Absolutely. we might be getting into chicken or egg here, but it sounds to me like where you are, there would be a great take-up of, of women's football if these facilities were around. It's not a case of there's no facilities because no one wants to do it. Yes, absolutely. And certainly if the facilities existed, so change rooms, a decent pitch with decent drainage, good car parking, more people would play the sport. However, there is a bar to that participation given the state of the facilities and the lack thereof, oh certainly goodness. in our area. Rochelle Hunt and Nick Healy with you. Sarah Lowe is with you in our Warnable studios. Ingrid Perez is with you as well, the committee member for the Hamilton Soccer Club. Ingrid, are you worried that, you know, the Matildas are going to kick off tomorrow night? There is such... I mean, we're talking over 50,000 people went to the last match. There is such a hype and a buzz, and rightly so, about these women. Are you worried that you're going to have people ringing, people rocking up and saying, I want want to play soccer my daughter wants to play soccer and you're going to have to turn them away yes absolutely that is a worry for all of us it's it's concerning that we've had to cancel games so that young women and children in general aren't able to play because of the lack of facilities um there is soccer is one of the most widely growing sports in this country and that, that is without a doubt. Those are the statistics. However, we're not able to accommodate young women getting into the sport, playing the sport, because we just don't have the facilities. Ingrid, the issue with the facilities, is that particular to women's sport or are there problems with facilities across the board, boys' sport as well? Well, given, given we are both a male and female club and we accommodate both male and female players, it, it does apply to both mm. genders at our club. Um, but certainly the lack, the lack of facilities makes it more difficult for women to p- participate because there's no private places to get changed. Uh, the pitch is of such a state that it's, it's awful to play on. Um, and it, participation in the sport generally is probably down because of the lack of our facilities. It is such a shame. Ingrid, thank you. And I hope that it changed and I hope that the Matilda effect makes its way to Hamilton and has some impact on your club. We really appreciate your time and we know that you're pregnant too, so we wish you all the best (laughs) with your birth. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ingrid Perez, a committee member for the Hamilton Soccer Club. Back to you, Sarah Lowe, in our Warnable studios. I mean, how frustrated are you listening to that when when they're turning people away and that's now without the Matilda effect on top of it? Yeah, it's Groundhog Day for me on on so many levels. You know, the the seven-year-old Sarah who who came to Australia and wanting to play footy and being told that over my teacher's, um, you know, dead body would a girl ever play football in this country um, to AFLW's announcement and to now, like, I, I can't believe we keep talking about this. You know, we fought so hard for, for decades to get even women being able to play sport. And now, you know, can it get any bigger than the Women's World Cup? And I cannot believe we're still talking about mm. a lack of facilities, yeah. a lack of volunteers. Uh, you know, the, the sports, the, the the government, media, everyone is, is part of this and we need to have a solution and we need to have a sustainable solution. 
Tara, a while ago I was speaking with the Greater Shepherd and Active Women and Girls Network and, and something they said rang really true. It said women's sport has to be given that precedence. It, it is great that women's games are happening, but they are still a little bit like, you know, we'll bung one on before the boys' game. Yeah, totally. So everyone can just arrive for the boys, but, you know, the women will get out to play. You know, it, it, again, I, I don't want to harp on on this, but it can't be a tokenistic mm-hmm. support. Oh, I agreed. I mean, this has got to stop. I, I was at Marvel last week and, you know, what are we, over 50,000 fans. And I was saying to Rochelle before, I haven't been this excited about watching any live sport in so long. Did and you cry? <laughs> I cry when things like that happen. Did you get teary? A, a little tear moment accidentally <laughs> slipped down. I didn't want anyone to see. But, um, you know, amazing to see, you know, mums, dads, brothers, grandparents, you know, bringing their, their daughters and sisters or whoever else watching so many young kids wearing Sam Kerr's number 20 um, on their back is amazing. And, and you know, I, I literally, I don't want to say that I was about to say something bad there. I just about, um, I'll say cried, when Mary Fowler <laughs> <laughs> kicked that goal right in front of me. You knew what I was going to say there. Um, I, the, the entire crowd, I mean, it was, it, it was doing a wave because it was nothing gets scored in soccer for a very long time. And then the, the second half, when Mary kicked that goal, my goodness, I've never seen anything like it. Isn't it wonderful when that it's happens? It's a shame it's so that great. they ran out of scarves before even the, you know, the whistle. Yeah. I see? Come even on. That is ridiculous. Oh <laughs> even that's Lord. wrong. <laughs> we want to talk to you in just a tick about what we can actually learn from AFLW because there's mm. still you know, a lot of mistakes were made there and that's still a huge learning curve. And then maybe that women's football, women's soccer has a lot to learn from there. But let's have a chat to Richard who's in Caulfield. Good morning, Richard. Uh, good morning, Rochelle. Good morning, everybody else. Sorry, I can't remember all the names. That's, that's all right, fine. mate. Um, could I, 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 someone just spoke about the full stadium at Marvel and how it was mums, dads, brothers, sisters. Could I, could I inv- invite just one suggestion? Right from the top of the show, talked about the Matilda effect impacting young girls, girls and women. I actually believe it's not gender biased. It's an amazing story of an elite team inspiring both boys and girls. Yeah. And it has a responsibility in that place to help fix the challenges of soccer, or sorry, football, in the context of we've got a men's game in Australia that is deeply challenged in terms of the A-League. It is about eyeballs. It's not about gender because there are men enrolled within sponsorship and marketing who are desperately keen to bring equality of effort to their strategic thinking of how to support. And that is vital to look at the story in the context of where it started to where it's come. I think it's an amazing story of success. So, Richard, it is we... nowhere near successful enough, but there are people who put a lot of hard work in that should be celebrated today so that the, so it's recognised that the World Cup is in Australia. And from this, we continue to develop, launch and improve rather than say, I'm impatient for just change. So, Richard, you, you want to see football like, like, as a whole sport get that unified voice. Like, as you said, the Matilda effect brings up all aspects of the sport. It raises, it's, it's the by, tide it's that raises all boats. Yeah, it's led by great people. This is an agenda discussion. This is a football discussion in competition with other forms of winter sport. And, and I believe in that. And I believe at that uh, regional, I think is the word that you're using, or... Uh, smaller cities environment, it's really important 
that the lobbying that goes to council mm. is about equitable services for a passionate for a game that people are so passionate about. Richard, are then you connected? Having, yeah. Are you connected to the to the industry to the sport at all? No, I was connected to the other one, the oval ball. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but and 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 if you think about it from that context, the power of the AFL has been in response to yeah. the growth of football and it in, recruited highly talented people to make sure that it could face that challenge and race in things like AFLW. Yeah, exactly. And what we can learn from those as well. Richard, thank you. It sounds like you certainly got some insights. Well, what do you think? You know, what needs to be done? Are you turning people away? How can we ensure that anyone that wants to play soccer can, no matter how small your club is? This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. We are talking women's participation in soccer or football. We know that it's called. I'm calling it soccer <laughs> deliberately, right, Nick? So people don't think we're talking about AFL. Very deliberate. Yeah, obviously. But I know obviously. that it's called it's football. football. Association football. Sarah Lowe is with you. She's in our Warnable studios. She's the previous CEO of the South Metro Junior Football League and also previously with the Healthy Future Fund group at Vic Health. But Amanda Stella is women's football manager at Western United Club and the president of the Calder United Football Club in the Women's MPL League. Amanda, you've been listening to a lot of this and we've spoken off air. The frustrations run through not just from a grassroots level, but up, you know, all the way up to to your level as well. Will change occur in your lifetime, do you think? Uh, I'm hoping to um, keep pushing forward and create create as much change as we can. Um, I have been listening this morning and there's been some amazing callers making some really good points about things that uh, as a sport we have to work to walk towards. Your last caller talking about um, it not necessarily being a gender issue, it being a, a sport issue, I, I tend to agree with. I think we have a lot of, uh, a lot of work to do in lifting the profile and lifting the commercial partners and the money that goes into our, um, into our sport as opposed to, you know, the, the likes of the AFL who seem to have a, I sometimes feel, an endless pit of money to be able <laughs> to continue to grow, um, which we don't, which we, we simply don't have at, at, at any level in this country, which is, which is really hard and it's hard to create it, create the right environment all of the time for all athletes, let alone female athletes, when you have these financial constraints across the board. Amanda, one of the conversations early on was about pathways. Now, I found that quite fascinating because at your level, obviously, you know, it's far divorced from community sport in regional areas, but there, there has been traditionally in any sport a really clear pathway from one to the other. And if we don't get that participation in women's football, there's not that move up to your level. Correct, correct. So uh, fortunately for me, I'm across sort of uh, working in the in the colder space, space, which was the NPL. We also have some grassroots community girls teams. So we're an all-female club. So we have six community teams, five NPL teams. And Calder has a um, an amazing partnership and working relationship with Western United to try and create uh, a pathway for girls to play football from under eight with the aspiration and a clear pathway to be able to play um, a league for Western United. So um, I've worked hard in this space the last few years to try and, you know, publicise how easy it is to create these pathways yeah. if we get the right people involved. When in we sport. talk about pathways, a lot of the time people may want their 
children, boys or girls, to mm. be able to play soccer. But they end up going for the oval ball for AFL because it's cheaper. The difference can be 200 bucks to be able to play football and up to, you know, $1,200, wow. $2,000 to, to play soccer. And that difference between the support from the AFL, the top funds all the way down to the bottom so that grassroots is supported. But in soccer, it's the other way around. The grassroots supports the top. Does that model need to change? Oh, 100% it needs to change, but it's also the same. It's, it's like that in the in the female and girls, but it actually is also like that with the boys. So if, if boys and girls are playing NPL, which is the, 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 the highest state level that we have, you're looking at fees of 2,000 plus boys and girls. So you compare that to what it costs for a 14-year-old boy or girl to play um, AFL, we're, we're talking a considerable amount of difference. And I actually know of over the years, many families where their, their kids have stopped playing soccer because they simply can't afford it. And that, that, is, that is something that does need to be addressed. And if we're going to continue to try and push towards a 50-50 participation by 2027 in our sport, but also in lots of different sports, there needs to start to be a collective investment from governments, councils, to, to, to make our infrastructure, to invest in our people uh, one of your callers made a really good point about women's coaches. Like, women's coaches, it, it's, it's really... I, I, I run an all-women's club, being at Calder, and I would love to have, you know, female coaches in every age group, but they simply are not there. And that's not because they don't want to be. That's because they're either not qualified, don't have the coaching certificate that they need because they mm. can't afford to do that course. Yeah. Um, Amanda, so, Amanda, we've been talking a lot about playing and coaching, but obviously, you know, there's a lot of volunteer work that goes into any level of sport. Is that participation there for women's football? Uh, yeah, well, yes, it, yeah, it is. Like, I, I, I go back to, I look at my last eight years in the colder space and where we started and where we are now, and, and it, we have grown ac- across the board in everything. But in saying that, we could have also well exceeded our expectations of growth if we'd had uh, more volunteers, if we'd had more uh, females advocating for for the sport and if we unfortunately had had better facilities. So we're we're in a position where we share facilities, we don't have our own. So although we may be the most... We share, yes. So Coldy United is the most successful female. Yeah, we don't have our own. We share (laughs) a facility with a community club. so that's what I'm saying. So, and that's this not is crazy. Yes, it is. it is. But this happens. This is happening everywhere. So, I can talk about uh, the the, cold, the colder space and the council we're in and the facilities we need to to keep pushing towards to to create that right sort of environment that we need. Um, but many many sporting sporting clubs across Victoria oh are having the same goodness. issues with facilities. And what's so frustrating, and I'm not even connected, I have no one in my family, we're a, a basketball and footy family, families and individuals are paying a fortune, right? They are. They're paying they are. a fortune and, and they're not getting anything. No, and in this particular, where we are as a community at the moment with the the, the, the cost of living, where I, I look at colder next year and I would have to somehow put my fees up to be able to continue to keep pushing forward oh in that competitive space. But I find it very difficult, you know, as a parent, as a um, community member, as a, you know, an advocate for sport, that I, I don't want to do that. But that's the only way the club survives. They're a non-for-profit. We don't make money. You need volunteers to run fundraisers. Mm. It's very difficult. But when we talk about facilities, facilities is also a problem at the top level. 
like in our A-League women's space, for example, we're still struggling, not just at Western United, all every team in the A-League struggles to have the facilities that they want for tell their... Tell me they've got their own change rooms. Please tell us that. <laughs> well, I could, I, could sit on the, I could sit on this call for quite a while and enlighten everybody. Um, but a lot of clubs, uh, for example, Western United, we're building our own facilities out in Tane, which... Um, is going to be amazing and our we have made sure that our facility, our men's and our women's are exactly the same. They are shadowed. The, the change rooms are exactly the same. The bathrooms are the same. The the wet areas are all the same. Everything is 50-50 across the whole facility, which is amazing. Um, but there are many situations, for example, where we are right now. I'm still with our pre-season commencing in September and our facility not going to be quite ready. I'm still looking for a facility for a professional team to be to be training and playing out of at this stage of the year. And this is because it's not because I'm not great at my job. I'm constantly looking for the right facility, but they don't oh really exist or there's just not many of them. Amanda, I think Nick and I have going to have sore heads tomorrow from the amount of times our heads have hit the Slapping desk. Slapping my forehead. Uh, absolutely. We really appreciate your time. And as I've been saying to everyone, we hope the Matilda effect makes its way through to your club. Amanda, thanks for your time. Amanda Stella. No worries. She's the women's football manager at Western United Football Club, the president of the Calder United Football Club. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt with you in Melbourne. Nick Healy joining you from ABC Shepparton and over in Warrnambool, Sarah Lowe is with you and if that's not enough, let's bring Fiona Crawford <laughs> into the conversation. She is the author of her most recent book, The Matilda Effect. Fiona, a warm welcome to the conversation hour. I mean, we've spoken, The Matilda Effect is real, but it feels like either grassroots or even semi-professional, even professional leagues of, of women's soccer just doesn't have the support, don't have change rooms, don't have volunteers, don't have coaches, don't have refs. It's just, it just seems so frustrating. It does. You know, that's probably the beauty of us hosting this tournament. I mean, obviously we want the Matildas to do really well, but the legacy that they're going to leave is really shining a light on these issues and also attracting more funding to address some of them. So we've already won in the sense that we're hosting the tournament because, yeah, if that means that we get a little bit more funding to get some change rooms, if we get some proper coaching facilities uh, or coaching uh, licences covered for, for people in the grassroots areas, yeah, that's going to be a huge, huge success for the tournament. Fiona, where would you hope that that funding is coming out of? I mean, that, that's my question. Is that I, I love the fact that we're putting a spotlight here. We know, as Rochelle said earlier, you know, local clubs are going to have their phones ringing off the hook soon. People are going to want to play. But where can that money come from to, to give that support? Obviously, government will play a huge part of that. Even just a, a redistribution of the funds that traditionally go to the men's programs, I know it sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but by default, men just get all of the really good facilities. They don't, uh, and all the funding. There's no sort of justification required for anything that they need to succeed in their sport. Whereas for women, you are constantly having to justify why uh, why you deserve to have some funding. So even just uh, a redistribution of the existing funds would be really nice to see. It's, um, it's kind of exhausting to have to justify your existence over and over. It would be incredibly exhausting, and it doesn't sound counterintuitive at all. It seems like it would make a lot of sense. I'm just wondering who's going to be the brave politician to push forward that idea when, unfortunately, men's sport still dominates. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think legislation will play a huge part here. I know that in Victoria in particular, so I'm currently based in Queensland, so I'm looking on with much envy, but I know in, <laughs> in Victoria you've implemented some um, gender equality legislation that is kind of with the requirements of which are ramping up as the years go on. So it might even require something like that to force the change because obviously men are not necessarily going to get there voluntarily. I like the idea of forcing change. Sarah Lowe, this is something, I mean, we know that there's there's a deadline, isn't there, for certain things to change by July 1 next year? Yes, that's correct. So the uh, Victorian government and Office of Women in Sport and, and Vic Health have uh, created that fair access policy that I was talking about. And, you know, that, that move has to be made to, to give fair access to the, to the right facilities and, and to the right times so that the girls can, can actually play. I was actually um, also reflecting on, you know, the leadership is what we need. So it's, again, that three-pronged approach. It's not just from the government. It's it's from the sports as well. And, you know, I know we're seeing more female CEOs and, and presidents, especially in the AFL, but they're, they're the sort of things that are going to make the change because it really is as simple as just making that decision and making it happen. Fiona, Matildas are obviously one of the most recognisable teams across Australia. They're an amazing brand. They have been huge for a long time, an intense amount of national pride around them. And yet, even this morning, I'm learning about everything they've had to fight for over the years, not only in terms of pay, but just simple things like having someone do their laundry for them. If the Matildas can't get change rolling at a good pace, can it ever get rolling at a good pace? Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, that's probably why they are such an important uh, team to be watching right now because they are playing the only truly world game when something positive shifts in their sphere. It actually has positive implications for every other woman and, and all the other women's sports like netball and cricket, which are not obviously played by quite as many countries. But yeah, it, it's kind of exhausting to be a woman in sport. Uh, like you're saying, they had to wash their underwear in sinks for many years they had to beg to have their internet covered which is a pretty standard feature these days but the good news is they have made huge projects uh, pro progress sorry in you know they've existed for about 40 years but even uh in the last few years they've managed to achieve pay parity this year fifa i think read the room finally they they were under a lot of pressure in 2019 to enact equal prize money for the tournament which has been one of the most glaring uh, issues. They haven't made equal prize money, but they have actually ensured that players will receive a minimum of $45,000 Australian each. And that's a big deal because in the past that money used to just go to the Federation, so it could have actually gone to the men's teams instead of being distributed directly to the players. So And going directly into really their bank more. accounts. I know, just I mean, just the idea yeah. and the image of these poor women still having to come <laughs> home and wash your undies in the bath, you know, after oh. you've just had the global stage on you. It's just so wrong. Fiona, thank you so much for your insights. Fiona Crawford, the author of The Matilda Effect. Sarah Lowe, when we talk about change and, and what can happen and where it needs to come from, it's pretty much everything, isn't it? It's from the bottom up not sort of the bottom not feeding and, and supporting the top it's from having more women in charge and and making decisions but then also too if you're in a position where you can make change like you have previously at you know at south metro if you can make change make change and you know i, I guess I'll, I'll raise here that in the in the bass coast they made a change there if you're going to host a, a sporting event here then women get equal pay to men so mm. if you're in a way in a position where you can make change just do it 
absolutely. I mean, can it be a better time? I mean, are we going to keep talking about this? Look, it's going to keep everyone in a job because we'll just keep talking about this all the time, but I'm sick of talking about it. For me, it's been over three decades of, of fighting so hard for equality and, you know, the change is it's too slow. And I, and I challenge the sports and I challenge government. I challenge everyone in sport. Come on, let's go for equality. Why is this still a topic? Is there anything we can learn from AFLW? There's always going to be that comparison. It's inevitable that it will be compared to women's AFL. What can we learn from what's worked and what hasn't? Yeah, great, great question. And, you know, firsthand, I, I saw it because we saw that, you know, incredible growth that I talked about, over 3,500 girls in, in literally 18 months uh, was mind-blowing. But um, we knew we had to, to set the foundations right as well. So, you know, a lot of the callers have talked about the, the female um, coaches. I mean, we we had new academies starting, female coach academy, um, umpiring academy, because uh, we knew that it just wasn't that one dimension of the player. And, you know, I just, I still look at AFLW and I, and I look at the lack of female coaches. I think there's only two, one at Hawthorne and one at Essendon, um, oh. you know, and one of the most successful coaches, AFLW coaches in history, um, Peter Searle, it's, she's not coaching. <laughs> Why is that? Yeah. You know, it, it's got to start from I saw from her at there. Bunnings not too long ago, right? Yeah. I wanted to go up, <laughs> did you? Okay. <laughs> wanted to go up and cuddle you her. should have she's the most beautiful person and I look i know she's one of the uh she's helping the the, the coaches at, at Essendon aflw and you know but she she should be a head coach of one of these clubs you know that I, I know that we are on that tipping point but um and we do need those men as allies uh even our coach academy we th- there'll be a tipping point where there's when there's more women, then women can actually mentor other female, the new coaches. But at the moment, it's more men. And the men are taking the jobs of the women. Yeah, we're just going to get there. Sarah Lowe, thank you so much. Sarah is the previous CEO of South Metro Junior Football League, previous executive manager of the Future Healthy Group and Vic Health as well. Rochelle, I've got to say, just from my own, obviously, male privilege perspective, learning uh, some of that stuff about the facilities on every level of the game has just been mind-blowing to me. It has been mind-blowing. I assumed it got better. Uh, I assumed it got better at some level. I know, and it it does need to change. Sarah is so right. Whoever (laughs) has the power, how great or small, change needs to happen because we're all sick of talking about it and it needs to get better absolutely